We are back in our Acts of the Apostles series, <clears throat> right? It's, uh, it's felt like a long time since uh, we had a, uh, it's actually been uh, one week only, right, at camp. But today, today's sermon is entitled, New Trajectory. New Trajectory, it means new direction, okay? Uh, um, and, and today, the story goes from Samaria, okay? to the next place. So let me give you some context, right? Now, how many of you know that for the first eight, for the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, there was a promise given, but that promise was yet to be fulfilled. What was that promise? Holy Spirit, good, that's good. What else? What else? Let's engage a little bit today, okay? What was the promise? The promise, clue, the promise was given in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 What's the promise? You shall receive power And then you will be my Witnesses From where? To where? To where? Jerusalem Judea Samaria To The ends of the earth Right? So you are going to receive power One Two is You're going to be my witnesses That's two Okay? Power Witness Where? Jerusalem Judea Samaria, ends of the earth. Okay? Now, what's happened is that God is bringing His salvation, His goodness, His mercy, and He says, I'm going to use you guys, and I'm going to cause a multiplying effect to take place because you guys are going to start moving out of Jerusalem. And they camped out in Jerusalem for quite a bit, yeah? Uh, they camped out in Jerusalem for the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. Why? You can go back and read. But persecution comes in, right? And Stephen, one of the seven deacons appointed to serve food, we are serving food afterwards, okay? And if you are serving food afterwards, you know, um, I don't think anyone's going to come and start stoning you to death, okay? But Stephen, one of the brothers who was, who, who was handpicked and prayed over to serve food, ended up being an apologist, started explaining the scriptures, he got stoned to death for it and immediately a wave of persecution hits and they scatter and by scattering 8 verse 1 1 verse 8 fulfilled by 8 verse 1 okay in 8 verse 1 they scatter from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and that's fascinating how God answers prayer or rather that's fascinating how God fulfills his promises. Now, last week, we were at camp. Two weeks ago, we saw how Philip, another one of those guys who was laid hands over and prayed for in order to serve food, ended up having a scope that is way larger than just serving food. He started to, to, to evangelize and speak the gospel and he, that took him north, out of Jerusalem, out of Judea into Samaria and he started sharing the word of God there and suddenly we have all sorts and sundry coming before the Lord and giving their lives to Jesus including a guy called Simon the magician right and I think for whatever that happens after that and Pastor Ramesh preached on that last week whatever happens after that is quite questionable but the very idea the very notion that a, a, a magic practitioner in a foreign country or in a foreign territory would say yes to Jesus actually speaks so much of the power of righteousness entering into a place and displacing powers of evil and darkness. Now, today, you're going to see the same Philip, the same Philip take a U-turn, okay? He's going to take a U-turn. Now, you would have thought that the story continues in Samaria, but when you look at the text and you look at the maps, you realize it doesn't. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south. So you can immediately see that there's a directional change because Samaria is north. He's gone north. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of 
Candice, some I've heard it pronounced as Kandache, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? The, the eunuch replies, right? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. It was Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. When they came up, out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, church, I love this story. Actually, Philip has has both Stephen and Philip have like very quickly risen in my own ranks as some of my favourite people in the book of Acts. I love Philip uh, because he seems to get involved in such fascinating, uh, 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 dramatic things, right? And, uh, but today I want to share with you, right, um, about the new trajectory, right, that God puts you on. I could have said new direction. I really should have just said new direction because it's easier to understand. But direction just speaks of pointing. Like, if I'm looking here, the direction is from here to the door, right? But a traject direction is to the door, right? But trajectory has a slightly different, just slightly different meaning, different layer. Trajectory means also the pathway going to the door, right? So it's not just a direction, it's a little more than just a direction. It is also the pathway that you take to the door. And God gives new trajectory, to two people, three, right, if I may say. And today I want to share with you new trajectory in three things. One is in hearing and obeying in the person of Philip. The second is a new, new trajectory in a new life and a new identity in who? In the person of the eunuch of Ethiopia, right? And the third one is a new trajectory for a nation and a whole people. Who? the land that this eunuch is going to return home to, bearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philip, the eunuch, and his whole nation, his home nation in Ethiopia, or if you may say, the entire continent of Africa, right? But I want to start where we normally start, which is at the first point, right? A new trajectory in hearing, a new trajectory in obeying. Now, this is what happens at the start. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So let's just pause there. If you're close with God, the Lord will speak to you. If you're sitting in Him and with Him and you're reading His Word, He is not so far. He is not so unreachable that you can't reach Him, that you can't hear from Him. God is not, God is mysterious. There are many things about God that He does not reveal. He is not obliged to tell us every last detail about how He works and who He is. He does, however, reveal to us the necessary for us 
to trust Him, for us to grow in love with Him, for us to walk with Him and to be discipled by Him. He gives us not just enough, more than enough. More than enough. And so across, as you grow in your faith, there'll be many moments where you read your scriptures and you say, Pastor, I don't understand this. The Bible says this, and then it doesn't say all the stuff about all the other stuff, and then it says the next thing. And I want to know what's in between. And sometimes there is no data. And sometimes we are left to a very humble speculation. Meaning we can only kind of speculate but not assign too much to our speculation. Case in point, Jesus' life. We know that He was born in Bethlehem, grew up in, 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 in uh, gosh, my brain's right, right? In, in, <laughs> grew up in a nowhere town, right? <laughs> right? So nowhere town that people would ask Him later like, wow, you, you know, from nowhere town, right? Uh, 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 what good can come from there, right? And then we don't know much about him from 12 years old all the way until his adulthood. And suddenly, boom, he, uh, he shows up at the, at the River Jordan and he has a ministry. It, it turns the whole civilization upside down, you know, goes to the cross, goes to the tomb, resurrected, goes to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And you're like, Pastor, what happened to the stuff in the middle? That's mystery. And I've heard people come to me and say, Pastor, I know what happened in the middle. He went to India. Yeah. And he went to India and he actually uh, 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 learned all these things and thought all these things about, about, about you know, and, and I was like, I'll just, you know, uh, politely listen. Lah, okay. Um, because we don't know. In fact, scholars who are closest uh, 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 to and who do the most scholarship around there don't know. They can only humbly speculate It's possible that he was this Typical Jewish young man Grew up this way Likely it was like that You know And I can tell you Most people who have very exotic uh, theories Can't show hand Right They can't show you their hand Like, like this is my Jalan Kerja Right This is my workings Right This is how I know he went here or there You know Because it doesn't exist There is mystery But God reveals himself When you desire him And God reveals himself When you need him and God does reveal Himself when He has an assignment for you. And that's what's happening here. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. And Philip is attuned to hearing the voice of God. He has already answered God's call. He has gone north into Samaria already. Now, the angel says, get up. Go south. Go south where? To the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this is the desert road. Now, how many of you have travelled on desert roads on some, some, some holiday before, right? Or like you've done like this out back kind of like, oh, you, 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 you know, how many, how, how many miles from X to Y in trucks and kind of like, or, or some, other, some other thing, right? You've done desert road. You've done desert roads before. Okay, I saw Pastor Ramesh raise his hand. Stevens raised his hand, right? Okay. Uh, Maria's raised her hand, right? Some of you have done desert. Most of us have no clue how hot the desert can be in the day. We can only have an imagination of it, right? Or for that matter, whether the nights are bitingly cold. We, we have no idea. We can only imagine and speculate He says Goes up, Go up This is the desert road And then Philip what does what? Philip Got up and went He didn't tentang At least there's no record Of him tentanging Or fighting back Say God What's this? I already come Okay it looks like this You know Right Philip Has gone north To Samaria This is Jerusalem He's gone north To Samaria Right Judea Samaria And you would think that Ends of the earth is there, right? West ends of the earth Up there, the ceiling, right? Okay And then God says Nope, I'm going to make you Do a U-turn After seeing fruit some more Right? So Philip has already seen fruit In his ministry He's seeing revival breakout You know uh, uh, People are coming to the Lord Even uh, witchcraft practitioners uh, uh, um, uh, From the local space there Are coming to Jesus You just need to disciple them You know And stuff is happening Jesus says U-turn I've got a different plan for you now. Your job here is done. Not done. So much more to do. God, can't you see? Isn't it obvious? It's only just started. Done. Your job is done, right? Where do I want you to go? I want you to turn around, go south. South back to Jerusalem, where there is a road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. It is a desert road. He's going to head southwest all the way 
presumably to Gaza, right? Now, my friends, God does have a way of redirecting us. And the things in our minds, our ideas about God, this is so much more planned. There is so much more for me to do here. You have placed me here for a purpose. I'm here for a time such as this, right? And you, you, are, you have an idea about your tenure at a particular place, at a particular season, in a particular station. But sometimes God redirects. And you might think prematurely. You might feel that you are truncating something here, God. There's, there, there's no way. Why would you uproot me just after everything has just started? Now, here's, here's the reality of it. God does know better. And this, this, this resides in the place where I said earlier, there is a mystery of God. And then there is a known parts about God. And the known parts about God, He will reveal to you. He has revealed it to you in our scriptures. You read it, you get to see a picture of God. He reveals Himself. And then there is a mystery of God which He keeps hidden. And sometimes He does not reveal or show hand until you've lifted it out and you've obediently walked with Him. And then the hand shows itself. Right? And that's what's going to happen. Across the, the second half of Acts 8, you're going to see the hand show itself. But at this point, it's not obvious. It's not obvious why God would redirect Philip out of a thriving, fledgling ministry to go onto a desert wasteland. It seems preposterous why that would appear to be a good idea. But Philip goes. Now my friends, how many of you have experienced God giving you a really sharp, happy turn, right? And making, bringing you on a real redirection in your life. I know that some of you would have, right? I know that COVID, and for those two and a half, maybe even three years, maybe in terms of business, more than three years, right? May have given you a sharp redirection as well. Maybe for some of you, you have always been in this trade, and you realize that in those two years, you just could not go on. And you had to go on a redirection. It wasn't your call. But some, some extraneous situation pushed you and nudged you into something else. Or maybe you had plans and dreams and you were just about to get started in one direction. And then something happened and your life had to take a turn. And it wasn't your asking for some of you, you may have to, you may, your mind may go back right now all the way to your days. Now, some of us are young and it might be happening now. Some of us are older and maybe you have to remember days where you were about to enter university. Or maybe you were about to get your first job. You were about to, you turn down your first posting to somewhere else. And you think back to all the possibilities that could have happened if this didn't happen if that didn't happen, if you had received university to the, of your choice but you didn't and your life took a turn, if you, if, if you received the job offer from this place instead of that and your life would have taken a turn. And maybe you are just in it. And if you are, you're still groping in the dark trying to see the sense of why God has turned your life away from what you thought was the plan. And if that's you, I want to pray along with you very shortly. Or maybe it's been a long time and you don't see the full picture. God has not shown you His hand and the story has not shown its hand to you. And you're still thinking, when you do think back, and maybe some of it began at camp, where you accessed things from the past and you're remembering that, gosh, in my life, there were one or few wrong turns or there were one or few uh, different differentiating moments that separated me from what I thought was the plan. And you're thinking, God, I still don't know, you know. I still can't tell what was your purpose. I know I've continued to live a life. There's been good things, but I, I can't see. I've never seen the reason why you took me on this turn. If that is you, I want you to sit in that for a moment. And I want to pray together with you because when God gives, takes you on a sharp change in trajectory he has a purpose and he's not done with you yet no matter what you're going through no matter how long your change in direction has has taken place he's not done with you yet 
And even if you feel that, God, you've taken me on many transitions, many trajectory changes, and I don't know if there's going to be a a next one, or God, maybe I just want to settle down now. I just just don't change my direction anymore. Just find me a broad open place and help me to to, to sit down, you know, and to to build and, and to put roots down. Maybe that's where you're at. God is not done with you yet. And how he's not done, I don't know. Only he knows, because that's a mystery of God. But he is not done. And if you're, if you're still wrestling, like Jacob wrestling with God, if you're still wrestling with God over your destiny, over the change in direction that he took you on, whether you feel that you are thankful because, you are, because it was a good change and it was change that you were happy about, or whether you are feeling lost and uncertain because you weren't expecting it, or even if you are feeling angry, maybe even bitter, Because He took you away from a target that you had been working a long time towards and He just took you away from it. Whatever it may be, the Lord has a purpose for you. The same way the Lord had a purpose for Philip. But He doesn't just have a purpose for you. He has a purpose for the people that He's redirecting you to meet and to to spend a life with. Even if it's for a short season. Like Philip and the eunuch, they spent time on a short you, you, you know, a uh, 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 portion of that road. But God still had a plan. And for that, I want to pray with you right now. Let's all cl- t- close our eyes. The service is not done. Not, not, not by a long shot yet. But I just want to pray with you. Oh, Heavenly Father, truly Lord God, You are a good God. Your mercies endure forever. You see things we don't see. Your, your, but your, by your own word in scriptures, you tell us your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And that is to say, Lord God, that we can't see very far beyond what's at our feet. And we walk by your word and your word sheds light for the next step. And we don't see much more beyond us. Lord, some days we plan. Lord, some days we have strategies for how we want to go through our life. We've got many year plans. But Lord, Lord, you have taken us away from some of these things. Lord, we don't understand. Lord, I've walked on a redirected path for many years now. I don't understand why. Lord, I'm in a season of transition. I'm standing at crossroads. I'm at a place of making decisions about what is next. And Lord, I don't understand where to go. I don't really know. I know where my flesh would lean to, but I don't want to follow just my flesh. I want to hear from you. I want to know where you want me to go. So Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And of the Father, give us direction and help us to understand. Help us to make sense of where you are taking us or where you have taken us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us make peace with the journey that we've been on. And help us to see. Help us to see if it is is at all possible. Lord Jesus, give us some revelation so that we can see and know why you have taken us on the road that you have. And Father, we pray for the people whom we are to come into contact with as you redirect us or as you have redirected us in the past. Father, we pray for your hand to keep on moving and touching lives and using us as a vessel for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God takes us on a new trajectory through the hearing, through the obeying, okay, just like Philip. Now the next one, I want to turn your eyes away from Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want to show you how God gives new birth, new life, and a totally new identity to this particular man. Now, you all know, I like looking, uh, I, I like having a, a visual, you know, and uh, uh, sometimes when I try to imagine what first century life was like, it's not obvious, right? I imagine highways, you know, with like billboards, and like, no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. First century AD, um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, as envisioned by a student of Rembrandt. No one knows who painted this, right? But we all know, most of us will have heard of Rembrandt, right? Famous Dutch painter. Um, uh, but this is one of his unknown students painted this kind of like in his style. And if you're an appreciator of art, you can see how he's using light like the master himself and whatnot, right? Appreciate the art. But I'm showing this to you because I love this painting. I love this painting. You have, 
you have Philip standing in kind of like brown, slightly raggedy clothes, you know, and, and he's, clearly, he's clearly coded as white, you know. I mean, he's, he's, he's Jewish, right? Or he's Greek, right? Um, he's Greek, uh, likely to be Greek based on his name, right? But he's clearly coded white, with white hair, grey, old, but kind of raggedy standing up. And then you have the Ethiopian eunuch bent down on his knees, right? Receiving baptism. It's, this scene is depicting a sprinkling baptism, right? He's on his knees, he's praying, he's submitted before the Lord, and you see him in his white robes with gold embroidery, right? And so there is this, I don't quite know what to make of it. When I see it, typically when you see paintings, uh, uh, sometimes you can immediately see the painter assigning a certain hierarchy in terms of social status and social order, right? Social hierarchy, right? You can't quite feel what it is here. It's ambiguous. And I think I like the ambiguity of the social uh, um, hierarchy happening in this painting because, because just enjoy it for a moment, right? Now, who is, it? Who is, this, uh, uh, who is this guy? He's Ethiopian by nationality, right? Um, uh, and of course, and necessarily, I suppose, uh, by ethnicity, he is black African, right? And he's Ethiopian. Um, he's a eunuch. And by that, I don't want to assume everyone here understands uh, what a eunuch is. Though, in order to explain it, I don't want to get too graphic as well, right? Um, a eunuch is... Uh, a man who has been castrated. He's had his uh, male genitalia uh, removed, right? Okay, uh, pa partially at least, right? Um, and, and as a result of that, uh, he's not a threat uh, in reproductively <laughs> uh, uh, with women. And so you often find eunuchs um, in, in palaces, in royal uh, 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 um, uh, service, looking after the women, right? Um, uh, and the thing about eunuchs is many of them were not eunuchs by choice. Many eunuchs uh, were either brought in uh, from uh, positions of I, I'm, sometimes slavery, okay? So, so quite often uh, people would be captured as slaves and as slaves they would be castrated and made eunuchs to look after different parts of, of, of the royal palace, right? Um, sometimes they'll be brought in locally, but um, regardless, a eunuch is always a kind of a symbol, kind of representative of someone who's had his power removed from him had his vitality and virality, you know, uh, uh, virility, you know, um, and a source of strength and power taken away from him uh, from some external source, right? And so he's found himself um, uh, in a way physically incomplete and vocationally assigned to do certain things. In his case, he was in charge of the treasury of the Ethiopian royal house. Now, uh, it's interesting. We always read this and we read Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. It's not quite Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. They are kings in Ethiopia. Uh, how many of you watched the coronation yesterday? The coronation of King Charles yesterday, right? Only so few of you. <laughs> okay, fascinating. We watched, we watched, the, the, we, we followed it on telly and, uh, and uh, had a good time, right? Um, now, in in ancient Ethiopia, which, by the way, is not an exact continuation to modern-day Ethiopia, perhaps in a similar, comparable to how ancient Israel is not comparable, is not a, a, a direct, unbroken connection to the modern-day 1949 Israel. Okay, so it might be a comparable idea. Now. Um, Ethiopia was ruled by kings, um, but the real power was vested in the Queen Mother. Okay? The Queen Mother had a title. Her name is the Kandache. Okay? And so, uh, so the Kandache held most of the power in, in, in the Ethiopian royal family. And so he was the eunuch to the Kandache in Ethiopia. Okay? And so every subsequent Queen Mother would, have, would bear the same title. Now, he went to Jerusalem to worship. This is fascinating, right? Because clearly he is interested in the Jewish faith. He goes to Jerusalem to worship, okay? Now he's found himself in a chariot reading Isaiah. He doesn't quite understand it. That's the man whom we and Philip have suddenly met. And as you saw in Acts verse 8, God says to Philip, go, join that chariot. Where Philip ran up to it. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. I grew up 
uh, with many frittering away many of my childhood afternoons watching TV2. How many of y'all did that? <laughs> TV3, right? For some of you, it was TV3. I did watch TV3 as well. I watched TV2 as well. But my favorite things to watch on TV2 in the afternoons, only in the afternoons, okay, were the Tamil movies. Because the Tamil movies, the heroes do the most amazing things. Like Hollywood heroes cannot fight, right? One, one, one uh, signature of Tamil movie heroes, okay, is that they can run faster than the horse. <laughs> and they, they can run faster than the car, right? And I found one example of a Tamil movie hero who runs faster than a speeding train, right? So... I had a lot of fun preparing this. This is on YouTube, right? I love it. It's like so, so, so man, so hero, so, so, so everything, right? I screen capped this. It's a 40 second chase, okay? Now, if you think 40 seconds is short, it's not short when you're being chased down by a speeding train. Four seconds might already be long, okay? Then that's the distance, you know, at three, minute, three minutes 32, right? And then he's, he's carrying someone somehow, okay? He's resting rescued someone from a, from a crash car and somehow he just keeps on running on the train track. He doesn't go off the train track, right? He keeps running on the track. Oh, it's because it's a bridge, so he can't go off, right? So he's running down the bridge. The train is barreling down on him, right? Uh, 4.34, he's still carrying the guy and running. At 4.53, uh, 3.53, he's still got this gap on, uh, on the train. At this point, he's still got a gap on the train. He's matching the train, okay? He's met, uh, for 40 seconds, he's matching the train until he eventually jumps off and the train uh, 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 crashes into the screen, so to speak, with a blaze of fire all around it. It's a beautiful action sequence, right? You should all go and YouTube some of these things up. I love it. Philip has a feel of a Tamil hero, right? Uh, action hero, right? Um, uh, Philip has that feel because he, he's been asked to chase a moving vehicle. And he catches up with it, right? He catches up with it. Now, maybe the more sensible way to read Acts 8 is, is to remember that some of these carriages move quite slowly. Like, I mean, I was watching the, the coronation yesterday and, and King Charles in that gold uh, uh, chariot, you know, and everything was moving so slowly. It's like, oh my gosh, guys... <laughs> Westminster Abbey, you know, Buckingham Palace, just, just get to it already. And they're like, crack, 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 crack. And, and this is not Westminster Abbey, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to Buckingham Palace. This is the bumpy, stony, hot desert road. So maybe Philip was not like a brother here, okay? Maybe Philip just needed to do a normal run. But don't forget, he had to come all the way from Samaria, you know, and come down to Jerusalem, get on that road. And then somehow, by providence, by God's timing, by some kind of serendipity, their paths are going to cross, okay? Philip's going to be in time, on time. He's going to be there, okay? And so, I, I, I find something... By the way, Philip does even more... God does more crazy things through Philip at the end of this because he zaps him up, right? <laughs> he kind of like disappears and shows up in Azotus, which is another city. And I... I I've not even seen, you know, Tamil action heroes do that. So Philip uh, is definitely kind of like adjacent to some of these heroes. Okay, I, I love it, right? Now what happens, right? The Spirit says to Philip, go, join, right? And so he runs up to the carriage and he catches up with the carriage, right? And he's running by the carriage, right? <laughs> and he can hear the guy in the carriage reading Isaiah 53. And Philip knows Isaiah 53. And so he shouts into the carriage, do you understand what you're reading? You know, partly because clearly he's not quoted as someone who would be reading Isaiah 53, right? It's a little bit like if you were, if you were to go to a pub at night, okay, and you see someone who is not Chinese, you know, singing pub songs, uh, like, like a pub band, and they sing, right? And you're like, Actually, do you know what you're singing? You know, um, because you don't, you, you, you don't immediately look coded like, okay, you would understand, right? I'm banana, but I understand, okay? Yeah. Um, 
And so Philip asked him, do you understand? He says, how can I understand unless someone guides me, right? So the Ethiopian eunuch is making a bid for guidance. Okay, he's, he's thrown out a signal. Why don't you come and guide me, right? Um, if, if you know. And so he was reading this. He was reading Isaiah 53, right? Um, now, he definitely was not just reading Isaiah 53 because he's been on the road. And he's clearly not just going to read until Isaiah 53. He's going to read beyond Isaiah 53, right? It's normal. So if you want to understand the mindset of this Ethiopian eunuch at this point, in this moment, you got to read Isaiah 52 because Isaiah 52 will tell you what he has been reading before, you know, a strange kind of like Greek man started running up next to his carriage and shouting at him, right? Uh, so this is what the eunuch had been reading. Isaiah 50, not 2, 50, 53, right? Not, not 52, not 53. He reads this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Wow. Isaiah's already been saying to him, there are going to be feet, beautiful feet. You know why they're beautiful? Those feet are going to come to you bearing good news. Those feet are going to come to you proclaiming peace and bringing good tidings. They are going to proclaim salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, there's a lot more in Isaiah 52 and you can go back or pull up a Bible from the back. We've got a Bible station at the back. You can pull it up, right? And read the rest of Isaiah 52. But this is the milieu that he is in. This is the thinking that he's in. He's just read this, right? And as he's reading this, a few minutes later, he has... Beautiful feet coming up to him by his carriage, you know, and, and kind of like chasing him down, right? And that has to figure in his mind. This is on his mind. How beautiful the feet are those who bring good news. Church, maybe your redirection is there to be beautiful feet to someone to bring good news. Or maybe someone else has been redirected into your path to bring good news to you. One way or another, we know that for, for the Ethiopian eunuch, this is his, on his mind, and then he enters Isaiah 53. What is this good news? What is this proclaiming of good tidings that he's reading about? 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is speaking about life emerging out of deadness, right? A shoot out of dry ground, right? Immediately, you can feel, right? That Remember in camp, I told you that there's always a very beautiful, rich, literary kind of like layer about our scriptures. God is not just about giving you information, right? He weaves it together beautifully. They're on a desert. They're on a dry, dusty desert where there should be no life growing in the desert. And then he has to read Isaiah 53 that says he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Wow. Wow. I think that's beautiful. It's setting it up, right? Even the Isaiah 53, which is not in the text, is already, if you go back and do your homework, you realize that, wow, God is setting it up for this guy. He is in a desert and he's being, there's already a prefiguring, you know, like a suggestion, like something's going to happen. Something's going to happen because there is dry ground and out of dry ground, life is going to come out from it, right? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Now we know. On hindsight, we know. He's talking about Jesus, right? We know He's talking about Jesus. At this point, the Ethiopian eunuch doesn't know who He's talking about. Right? In fact, later he's going to ask, right? Who is he talking about? Someone else? Or is he talking about himself? And over the generations, Jewish rabbis and scholars have continued to speculate when Isaiah wrote this. We're not talking about now, look back. When Isaiah wrote this, who was he thinking of? Did Isaiah see clearly a picture of a Messiah? Was he writing about himself? And then there is a double kind of like, like, like fulfillment in the Messiah. Was he writing this? He is a personification of Israel. And Israel, you know, uh, uh, um, having no beauty, no majesty, blah, blah. No, even, so what, so what the eunuch asks is a very 
very good question, right? And it's a question that continues to search in the minds of scholars ever since then, right? Um, we know on hindsight that this was fulfilled in Jesus by speaking about someone with no physical attributes that you should desire Him, right? So, again, I always say, God comes in in the unlikeliest of package, okay? Like the most lengthy package, right? Um, not the same as this, okay? It goes on to say, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one for whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held Him in low esteem. We pandang renda Him. We kuasue Him, right? We don't consider Him if any esteem, right? He was rejected, acquainted with sorrows, right? So now the eunuch's reading all this is like his curiosity is, is going up, right? And then it says this Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The first part talks about his crushing, his sorrow, his grief, his lack of beauty and all that. So at the start, uh, you're like, wow, this guy is like quite a tialat guy, okay? He's like, he's not handsome, he's suffering, he's sorrowful. Like, you don't want to be this guy. You just don't want to, he's not a hero, right? He's not a hero. He's not even the villain. He's just, he doesn't get into the movie, right? And then suddenly, it explains why he's so wretched. The explanation is this, he was pierced for our transgressions. Oh, so if not for my transgressions, he may not be so horrific looking, I suppose. He was crushed for our iniquities. Oh, so I suppose if I don't sin, if I never sin, he would not have to be so badly crushed. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Meaning there's, to get peace, someone needs to be punished. He was punished, he was punished not us, right? And by His wounds, we are healed. So we get healed. He gets wounded. Who is this guy? Eunuch's thinking, who is this guy? I can't wait to know the answer because Isaiah 52 has built up to Isaiah 53. There is good news. This guy appears to be the good news, but I don't know who he is. Can I find out who this guy is? Then he says, we like sheep have all gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sheep metaphor comes in, right? The sheep metaphor comes in to describe what? Our unfaithfulness, Israel's unfaithfulness, all of our collective unfaithfulness, how we, we, we berhala, right? We leave God and we go and worship other things. And then the kicker, he was oppressed, right? Afflicted did not open his mouth. It's a kicker because this is the passage. As Philip is running up to him, this is the moment. Right? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He was taken away. No retaliation. Eh? He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. Who considered his fate? Who thought about this guy? Who spent a minute of their day to consider what a wretched life this guy has had? Does anybody care? Does anybody remember him? Does anybody pause from their nice, comfortable, middle-class life to consider this guy's life even for a moment before they move on? Isaiah is suggesting, no. That's why he asks it rhetorically. Who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Right? And so, I want you to think about this. Because the Ethiopian eunuch, by this point, is identifying with the person who is being read about. Now, you may not see it. I'm going to help you see it. If you saw it, good for you. Right? The eunuch is starting to identify with this guy. Right? He knows it's not writing about him. But he's saying that whoever this guy is, I see a little bit of myself in him. Why? Because the eunuch has no generations. The eunuch has no future. And no one considers the fate of the eunuch. The eunuch is just there to serve the royal house. He does his job, he dies, there's no descendants. Right? 
he was cut off from the land of the living. Now, you and I won't think about it. But if you're a eunuch and, you're, and your line is cut off, your family line may have come down many, many, many generations. You may even be able to trace your descendants. But if it gets to you, it cuts off at you. You can't continue the family line. And he knows this. He spent his whole eunuch life knowing this, aware of this. There is no generations for this guy. And no one considers how he feels. And then, after Isaiah 53, when he goes on reading, now, Philip would have explained to him the scriptures from there, moving out, moving out, moving out. But after Philip is gone, he may have very well gone back and continued reading Isaiah 54, where he would encounter this, Sing, barren woman! And I know he's a man, but I think you're clever enough to be able to see the, the parallel. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate eunuch. More are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband, says Yahweh. And he's going to read this. He's just waiting for him to turn the page or to move the scroll up. Sing? I'm the barren man. I'm a eunuch. I have no family beyond, beyond me. You who never bore a child? Yeah, that's me. Burst into song, shout for joy? Why? How? Don't, remember, don't you remember? Isaiah 52 already said, right? How beautiful are the feet that bear good news, that proclaim good tidings, right? This is the good tidings. 54 is the good tidings, right? Sing, why? You who are never in labour, because more will be your children. How is this eunuch going to have so many children, so many descendants after him? Now, even as I say that, a man who cannot have children, being told in some ways by God that he will have so many children, that should ring a bell. What bell does it ring? Abraham. This should remind you of Abraham. When you read the eunuch and you do your homework, and you go back and read Isaiah 52 and 54, you see a picture of a Gentile Abraham, an African Abraham. Because his, his descendants is cut off at him. And then God comes and says that you will have many children. You will have more children than anyone else. It's like, what? Okay, I suppose this is just a coincidence. Maybe I'm reading into things. You know how sometimes you feel that you might be reading into things? Let's keep reading. Enlarge your tent. Enlarge your tent means get ready to, to house more people, right? Stretch your tent curtains wide, meaning you have to stretch the tent wider and wider. Then you need to lengthen the cords because to put a tent up, you've got you to hold it together with cords and strings. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. Put them deeper because you're going to hold more weight. Now, it's, there's a this confirm uh, 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 at this point very happy coincidence right for you will spread out to the right and to the left your descendants will dispossess nations settle in their desolate cities do not be afraid you will not be put to shame and if you are a eunuch when you see the word shame it rings differently from us okay because we do not have our genitalia mangled by someone else okay so they can, we can look after a part of their house when they read this you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. It has a different ring for him. Or maybe you've experienced shame too. And maybe you've experienced humiliation too and you're saying, no pastor, I have a different kind of shame. And every day I carry myself a different kind of humiliation and I felt disgrace before. And it's still, I still carry it. I'm still hurt by it. And some of these things still trigger me. So, don't tell me that I'm not like the eunuch. Actually, I feel quite like him. Actually, you might be right. You might be right. You might be just like him. Just different way. And God says, you will forget the shame of your youth. You will remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Or in this case, your eunuchhood. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Right? Sorry. And then, just to show you it is not a coincidence, Isaiah 56 says, No foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh should say, Yahweh will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch 
should not say, look, I am a dried tree. Wow. To you and I, it's just a wow moment because Bible is explaining Bible and it's a wow moment, you know. For him, it's God speaking to him. And God giving him a new life, a new identity, right? God is giving him a new life. He says, for Yahweh says this, the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, chooses what pleases me, holds firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a name better than sons and daughters. In other words, I give you a new identity. I give you a new lease of life. I give you something new, right? Let's pause for a moment. God says this to every single one of us. He gives you a new identity. Now, have you ever felt left out? Have you ever felt cut off? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever felt like there is no jalan forward for you? That's God saying to you today, as I did with the eunuch, I'm doing for you. I'm releasing a word over you to give you new life. Let's come back to the present day. The eunuch says to Philip, I ask you, who is this? Philip starts telling him about Jesus. And today, I want to tell you that Jesus, who gave him a new life, is going to give you a new life. If you found yourself lost or an outsider, God gives you a new life. And God turns the whole thing around because from one man, He's going to use this one man to touch an entire nation, an entire people. This eunuch, the scripture says, goes back rejoicing. He goes back rejoicing, right? Let's see in the text. For him, he's joyful. He goes back to Ethiopia, goes back to the royal house of the Kandache and continues to look after her treasury. And then what we do know is that by the 3rd, 4th century, that's 200-ish, 300-ish, this is happening in about 30-something. Jesus crucified about 33 AD. Right? So this is happening, let's say, about two years. Like, it's actually very fast after Jesus is crucified, right? May even be the same year, right? 30-something. By 200-something, 300-something, the kingdom of Ethiopia becomes a Christian nation, a Christian kingdom. And there's archaeological evidence of the king of Ethiopia pronouncing that Christianity is now the, f- the, the, the official religion of the kingdom of Ethiopia. Seed, grow, grow, grow. Descendants, more, more, more. I want to talk now in this final point, and it won't be long, about the eunuch and Christianity in Africa. Because the eunuch goes back, and we don't have evidence that he was the one like super evangelist, you know. Um, In the same way, we don't have evidence that the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, went back, and we know that she shared with a few people, right? Um, and, And she was really excited. We don't know anything else. We don't know how long between that and Philip going to Samaria, something happened or not, right? We know that seeds were planted by the Samaritan woman at the well. And then we know later that when Philip goes to Samaria, a revival breaks out because now more people are ready to hear the gospel. Same thing seems to be happening here. I see parallels between the two, right? Because the eunuch goes back rejoicing to Ethiopia. 200 years later, or maybe even less than 200 years later, the kingdom of Ethiopia becomes Christian. Now, I want to cite my source for what I'm going to share with you next, okay? Um, this is Jasmine Holmes, okay? This is her Instagram account. Um, I... I name-dropped her at camp uh, with one of her books, right? Um, But she talks about black history. Uh, She's a black historian, right? And she revises a lot of of history that, that, you know, it's kind of like leaning towards erasure of some of the the things that we... Erasure of black history, let's put it that way. I'm going to show you a... I'm going to show you a quotation written by someone, a white historian in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I'm going to show you a quote, okay? Um, it feels like a turn, but I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this, okay? And as I show you this quote, forgive me if some of the language is not used anymore today, okay? I'm going to read this, and you tell me how you feel about it. When the Negroes were first brought from Africa, they were heathen savages. 
But after a few years, they learned the speech and customs of the whites, and more than all, the worship of the true God. In thinking of this, we have to admit that slavery must have been permitted by the Lord in order to bring heathen people out of darkness into the light of the gospel. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? Because how you feel about this is going to tell you what are the necessary evils you are prepared to put up with in order to spread the gospel. And how you feel about this is going to tell you whether you're going to consider something an end or just a means to an end and whether the means don't care as long as you get to the ends. And how you feel about this is going to inform how you feel about the things Jesus has said, like, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Or, for God so loved the world, He sent His Son. How do you feel about this? I don't feel good about this. If you understand chattel slavery in America, you will know that God does not work that way. He does not tie men to, to trees and lynch them. He does not go around in mobs, catching people, dragging them out from their homes. He does not rape the women in order to bring the gospel to them. And let's own this part of the shame, yeah, together. A lot of Christian homeschool syllabus for many, many generations uh, would teach exactly what Mary Williamson is saying here. Up until the 90s, maybe even the 2000s, it's still in there. And I was just reading Amazon reviews of this book, A Confederate Trilogy for Young Readers. And there were still modern-day Amazon users saying that, this is great, every southerner should read this. So let's be very sober about how our faith grows. There are faiths out there that will do anything to grow. Anything. We are not like that. We grow by love. We grow by kindness. We grow by serving. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. And we too are called to give our lives as ransom. Not to take lives now, I just want to show you this and we'll close very shortly. Africa. The Ethiopian eunuch was converted, let's say 35, 33 AD, right? And I know it's very, very foreign to some, most of us, but not foreign to our African brothers who are in our midst today. There was a patriarchate in Alexandria in Egypt, meaning that a very, a very complex family of churches already in Egypt by the 43 AD. By the early 1st century, there was Christianity already in Sudan. By the 200s, there was rapid growth in the Egyptian church. Of course, we know that around this time, Ethiopia, the kingdom of Ethiopia became Christian as well. By the 600 and 700s, Christianity was already in Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia and Libya. All of this is indigenous evangelism. No foreign missionaries, no European missionaries in this. This is all African nations spreading the gospel to each other. In the 1500s and 1600s, only Portuguese Jesuit priests and missions reached Congo, Zimbabwe, Mozambique and Angola. Unfortunately, it is also around this time when the slave trade starts taking place, right? When Europeans reach there, and then there's missionaries going there for missionary, and then there are other people going there for other people's, other peopling. And in the 1700s is the beginning of slavery in America. And in the early 1900s, a, histori a white historian would say that slavery is God's necessary means to bring the gospel to the Africans. It's unacceptable. 
We should not accept this kind of history. And I know we're Malaysian Chinese, and technically this thing has very little to do with us. But you engage in a world that talks about these things today, especially if you are online and you have people talking about race relations, not just in America, but everywhere in the world. You need to understand this. You need to understand this. That a lot of the histories that we are being told needs to come under the light of reality and come under the light of the cross. Because God has His way of bringing a nation under the gospel. And it is often not the way of the sword. In fact, I have said it's never the way of the sword. The way of the sword is to beat the swords to plowshares and every spear into pruning hooks so that the weapons of death get, get transformed, get reshaped, if you will, into instruments of fruitfulness. How does God bring the gospel to an entire nation? God has a plan for every single one of us. He's meeting you on your road and He has a plan for you. And I don't know how disruptive your own trajectory changes have been in the past or even right now. But God has a plan for you to bring the gospel through you to someone else. And when Philip shared it with the Ethiopian eunuch, he had no idea that this was going to take place. No idea. He could not see into the future that way. At least I don't think so. But God could. God has an idea. All this was mystery to humans, but known to God until as time goes by, the story shows its own hand to you and says, see, Philip, why I redirected you out of Samaria to go down this road to meet one man whom I need to come into the kingdom. And this guy is going to come into the kingdom and then through this one man, the rest of human history is going to unfold. Every one of us has a relationship with our nation whatever your nation is. You have a people around you, a people group around you, an ethnicity around you, a local dialect or a national language around you. We are all connected to many people who are not in church. How is God bringing the gospel to the nation? I'm not going to answer that question for you today. But next week, or rather the next time we're in Acts, we're going to see another man on another road come to Christ and where this man the eunuch did not know the scriptures but was trying to understand it the next time we see another man he'll be on a road and he thinks he knows all the scriptures and he doesn't need to understand it anymore and both men are going to encounter the risen king God's going to stop both men on their respective travels going to turn both their lives around going to turn the destiny of entire nations around. That's the power of our God. That's the next time we're here. For now, let's pray. Let's rise to our feet. Can I have the worship team? Church, we are gathered around this table to share with one another a remembering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And after that, we will share a meal together. Church, the church is no ordinary thing. The Lord Jesus gathers us on a Sunday morning like this to speak collectively to us, to help us to know what it's like to break bread together, to share in one moment of the week our lives together. And then He sends us out into this world to carry the good news that we heard on a Sunday out to the rest of this world. So what happens here, my friends, is a coming together of God and man in a holy and consecrated gathering. And at this gathering, we remember what Christ has done. The cross, His death, His resurrection, and our victory. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, 
that your body was broken so that we can have life. Your body was bruised, crushed for our iniquities. You were wounded so that we could be healed and you were chastised so that we can have peace. Thank you. This is a joy and this is a privilege and a fellowship with you that we could not have earned for ourselves. Church, as you receive this bread, we do this in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. Let us partake of this bread together. After supper was ended, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that on the cross you shed your blood. It was not cheap. It came at the cost of life. And today, as we gather and we hold this in our hands, Lord Jesus, may you sanctify our drinking and our eating. May you teach us to use this to remember that you are our Lord, you are our Saviour. And as we partake of these emblems, we are saying, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord. You are indeed my God, my Saviour. And I partake this to remember you as my King of Kings. Let us partake of this cup together. Father, may you bless the food that's before us. May you sanctify it unto our bodies. And may you use this lunch to remind us of the family that you are growing, of your body broken and bloodshed for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.